Good morning. We're so glad you guys are here with us, and it is a beautiful day out. It is my favorite time of the year because it is state fair time. Um, it is the best people watching that you will ever experience in your life. You forget there's other people that live in Kentucky, and so uh, I love going. I do love it. I was there yesterday. I'm taking the kids today. We'll take our staff on Tuesday, so I go a lot, And uh, but it's great. We're so glad you guys are here with us. Like I said, there's a lot of stuff going on. We're getting into the fall. A lot of stuff is going to happen here at Journey. We also realize that's a busy time for a lot of us with youth sports starting back up, and it's a nice time to go camping, and it's obviously Labor Days coming up and all that stuff, so the reason I tell you all that is to remind you we have a Thursday service at 7 p.m., uh, and so if you ever have weekend plans but you don't want to miss out on church, uh, come on Thursday. It's a smaller crowd, but it is. I love Thursdays. It's a lot of fun, and so that's an option for you as you get busy in this season with everything that comes up with the fall and then going into the holidays as well. Just reminder that we have our Thursday at seven o'clock service. If you're new, again, we're glad that you are here with us. Make sure, like they said, stop by the welcome desk on your way out uh, to get your free gift and say hi. So we're in the fourth part of this come and see series. We got one more week in it and uh, today's going to be kind of a setup for next week. But uh, basically in this series, we're talking about this idea where Jesus, when he kind of starts his ministry, he's inviting these people to come to see, to follow him, to see what is possible with their life, what God can do with them. And there's this great invitation that he gives. We talked about in week one, and we kind of talked about this story of this man who answers this invitation and invites other people, even though they didn't want the invitation. So it's just kind of this amazing story of what Jesus can do in your life. But um, one of the things that Jesus makes really clear uh, when he's here on earth is what he came to do. And this can oftentimes get uh, misunderstood when it comes to the church world. Um, and even the language that he uses can be confusing and for some people um, is hard to understand. But in Matthew chapter 19, a story we're going to look at here in a couple weeks, um, maybe next week, is um, Luke 19.10 says this. For the Son of Man, so this is Jesus speaking about himself, it's a title that's given to him, came to seek and to save the lost. And so Jesus is pretty clear that what he's come to do is to find those who are far from God, lost um, is a language I know it could be triggering for people, but to bring those people back to God to show that you do have purpose, you do have meaning, you do have value, and that God has a plan for your life and you have value and worth to God. And so he's wanting to bring you back into the way in which we were created and the purpose and mission we were created for. And so Jesus has come to clear up, as we talked about last week, some of the confusion about God, but also to kind of cast this vision of what Jesus is about and then as his body, what we're supposed to be about. The idea of reconnecting people to God, seeking and saving the lost. Now, in week one, we asked this question that we're going to come back to, um, because I think when this idea, when we think about going and being the church in our community and a light in the world and salt in the world and participating with Jesus in this mission, uh, one of the questions we have to answer as individuals, but also as a community of believers, is how lost are we comfortable with? Like, how messed up of a person are we okay with? Like, like, you know, if you were to scale it one to ten, like ten being like, oh my gosh, everything's falling apart, this person is toxic and, and they're hard and they've hurt people, to like one, which is like, you know what, they might have cheated on like a third grade math test, you know? Like, what scale are we comfortable with when we think about this idea? And what we see is that Jesus makes it very clear when he's here on earth that really there isn't a scale. That's just something we've made up. See, Jesus, when he's here, he goes to the houses of people 
that everybody watching was uncomfortable with him going to. Jesus talked with people that everybody else avoided. He talked with people that people were uncomfortable that he was talking to these people. Jesus embraced and touched people that people themselves had abandoned and let go and people that they were uncomfortable with the idea of touching and engaging this person. And we see this over and over again in the life of Jesus. He just keeps doing this. And so Jesus obviously is, he says there's no scale. Like we're all broken, we're all lost, we're all hurting in our different ways. And so Jesus says anyone that wants to come and see, they're welcome. Now, today what I want to do to kind of talk about that a little bit is look at a story. Uh, It's a story that I've shared a lot. If you've grown up in church at all, you're probably familiar with this story. In fact, over the last several years, I mean, I've probably preached about this story a dozen times. But the reason I love this story so much is that every time I look at it and every time I hear somebody talk about it or even have an an interaction with the story, there's new little nuggets, new little things that I pick up on. In fact, last year I was at a conference and the speaker was talking about this very story and he got to the end and he shares this part about this story that was incredibly convicting to me as a person. And so what I thought I would do is share that with you today and convict you so that we're all kind of in the same boat, okay? But it's like this incredible conviction that came with this story. And then even Thursday night, there was a lady that walked up to me at at the end of the service and shared an insight that I'd thought about before, but not thought about in the way that she presented it that I'm going to share as well. But um, this story, very familiar to some of us, and it starts with this line. It says in John chapter 4, starting in verse 4, now he had to go through Samaria. So it's Jesus and his disciples. They're walking from one region of Judea to another. And and so um, in the middle of where he was to where he was going to go was Samaria. Now, um, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, you know that the Jews, which is Jesus is Jewish, hate the Samaritans. Um, They're political, national, and religious enemies. Um, The story of the Good Samaritan, when Jesus says that story, it would have been offensive to the people in the crowd that day to refer to a Samaritan as even good. And so um, there's this long-standing history that has been, at this point in the story, over a thousand years of just this toxic buildup between these two people. And it started when, at one point, uh, Israel got split into two kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom eventually gets um, invaded and taken over by the Assyrians. Now, when the Assyrians come in, the people in the northern kingdom, they actually align themselves with the Assyrians. They become the Samaritans. And, and the, um, the Jewish people, they, they hated them. They couldn't believe that they would align themselves with these people. And so that kind of starts it. And then we see kind of throughout the rest of the Old Testament and the history of Israel, there's different times when the Samaritans align themselves with the enemies of Israel. And so it becomes this whole complicated thing. Um, but essentially, they, they can't stand each other. They, they hate each other. In fact, it got to the point that this route that we're going to see that Jesus takes, um, Jews would avoid this at all costs to go from this region to this region, and they would go around Samaria. And this journey they would take would actually take one to two days longer to get to where they were going, but to them it was well worth it in order to completely avoid Samaria. So when Jesus says in the text, or the Bible tells us he had to go through Samaria, the disciples would have been like, no, you don't. Like there's actually three other routes we could take. One of them is by the beach and everybody loves the beach. So let's go up that way. But Jesus had in his mind that he had to go through Samaria. And to be honest with you, I think this is intentional. But it also kind of brings up this point is why would he do this? Because any good Jewish person 
would have avoided this route that Jesus is about to take. Jesus is about to go in this direction in in the least expected way that many people would think. Why would he set himself up for this? But then it got me thinking on on a deeper level, like when it comes to us. So so like Jesus, we're going to find out, has a very clear reason why he's going to go to Samaria and where he's going to go. And it's going to be to deal with somebody that everybody thought shouldn't be dealt with. And then it got me thinking, have you ever asked the question, because you come to church and we sing songs and you hear people talk about how much God loves you and how much he cares about you and how much he wants you. And did you ever stop and ask the question, um, why does God even bother with somebody like me? Because you know you and I know me and I know what's in here and I know what goes on in here. And so the question is, have you ever asked, like, why, why me? Why would God even bother with somebody like me? And so in this story, what we see is they do, they go through Samaria and they get to this region and Jesus, he sees this well here. And so he sets down at this well and he sends the disciples into the town to get some food and some snacks because they've been traveling and so they're hungry and it's hot where they're going and it's about noontime. So they probably have gotten up and walked all morning without probably anything to eat. So he sends them into the town and Jesus stays at this well. And this is where our story picks up in verse seven. And so it says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now, to hear this story and just read it, there's probably a lot of cues you don't pick up on, so I'll fill you in on some of them. So first of all, we've already said that Jews hate Samaritans. So the fact that a Jewish person is engaging a Samaritan person would have been a cultural problem. Then on top of that, Jesus is a man talking to a woman. And in their culture, men did not engage women unless it was like a family member or a wife, and they never, ever talked to a woman in public. The other thing is that this scene is taking place in the middle of the day. And so Jesus is there by himself, and this woman is coming to get water from this well. Now, the town that they're outside of is a fairly large town, and so there's lots of people that depended on this well for their water, because unlike today, um, where you can go in many parts of your house, you can go buy bottled water, you can go out there right now and get a drink of water, and, and so water is readily accessible. In these areas, it wasn't. So they would dig wells down to the water, which is way under the ground. They would, if you don't know how a well works, they would drop a bucket or something down into the water, they would bring it up, and, and what heck? kind of happened culturally was this had, and don't be mad at me, you can email the Bible, this had become a woman's job, okay? Now, the reason to become a woman's job is a couple reasons. Number one um, is that the women in these regions, they would get up early in the morning, they would go to the well, and they would get enough water for their family for the day because they were the ones that were responsible, again, women, not me, um, they were responsible for the cooking, the cleaning, you know, doing all that type of thing, so I'd have to go to the well. But what happened over time was that women in their culture did not have a lot of safe spaces or cultural spaces that were just for them. So what we now know is that women going to these wells to get water became a social thing. It kind of became their area, their space. And so the women would go in the morning. They would get the the water out of the well to take back to their family, take back to their village. But it also kind of became like a social hour for them. It became a chance for them to freely be able to engage without having to worry about anybody from their community, specifically the men, saying anything. And so um, the women would do this. And so a couple of things. It's the middle of the day. 
So it's the heat of the day. The reason those women go in the morning is because if you go in the morning, it's the cool of the day, so it's less strenuous on you, but it also became a social thing. So this woman is coming at this time, the middle of the day, the worst time of the day to go to the well to get the water, and she's by herself. So the question should be, why is she doing that? And what we're going to discover is that this woman has a past. She has some shame in her life. And the reason that she's probably going at this part of the day is because she doesn't want to see anybody. She, she doesn't need any more sad looks. She doesn't need any more judgment. She doesn't need more people whispering about her as she approaches the well. And so she's isolated herself because of some things going on in her life. And so Jesus kind of provokes her and, and he says, give me something to drink. And so um, she replies when he asks this, she says, first of all, <clears throat> you're a Jew and Jews don't talk to Samaritans. Second of all, I'm a woman, you're a man, this is not culturally okay. And so she asks basically, <clears throat> why are you even talking to me? And what we know about this woman is at this point in the story, she is in isolation. She has isolated herself from her community. She's isolated herself from the people around her because of the shame and guilt with her past sins. And so she comes to the well at this time of the day, more than likely to just avoid everybody in the whole mess. And so she looks up at Jesus and she's like, what are you doing here? Like, I expected to be here by myself. I didn't expect to have to talk to anybody. I didn't expect to have to see anybody. And so what she's trying to do is to get away from the situation, but also to get away from everybody else, which is something I think some of us may be able to relate to. The reality is that there are seasons of our life, or maybe for some of us, it's been a long season of our life where you've isolated yourself. You may not have thought about it like that, but you've isolated yourself. You've isolated yourself from your friends. And we blame them. We're like, well, really, it's them. But the reality is, is we've done things and said things. Or now we have what was once this larger community, <coughs> sorry, that now is kind of shrinking. And there's a bunch of hurt and betrayal. And maybe you feel frustrated with people. And maybe just like her, it's not just the people in the community. She feels frustrated with even maybe the people of God. And so there she's feeling loved and unseen and isolated. And so she engages this guy. She doesn't know who he is. And the first question she asks is, what are you doing here? And Jesus is quick to respond, what are you doing here? Like, why are you here by yourself, alone, in the time of day when people wouldn't come? And maybe God is asking some of us the same thing. See, in this season of life, you're still here, but your heart isn't. And you've isolated yourself. And you're going through some hard things. And in your mind, you're all by yourself. 
And so they kind of have this exchange where Jesus kind of knows as we're going to see the bigger picture of what's going on with this woman. And, and so Jesus asks for a drink and, and then he kind of tells her, well, actually, if you knew the one asking you for a drink, then you would ask him for a drink, speaking of himself, because I have this water. And if you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. And she looks at him and asks the captain obvious question, sir, you don't even have a cup to get the water out of. Like, how are you going to give me this water? And he goes into this kind of exchange about, well, what you understand is I'm not talking about physical water. I'm talking about about this other type of water. And if you drink of this water, which basically is saying that if you kind of take me in and who I am, then you'll never thirst again. And there's this spring. And so this woman, she kind of hears this. And so think about her life and her situation. And this guy, see, all she knows is he's telling her if she trusts in him, she never has to come back to the well again. And she's like, that sounds awesome. Because then I don't have to see the looks of everybody. I don't have to hear the comments about everybody. I don't have to hear what type of reputation I have anymore. Because see, some of us, let's be honest, we don't like to admit it, we've got a reputation. And so Jesus is like, yeah, I'll I'll give you some of this water. Um, But see, Jesus knows what's really going on. And he knows why she has the reputation she has. And he knows why she's isolated herself. And so he says, okay, in verse 16, okay, I'll give you some of this water, but here's what you got to do for me. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you were right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Now, a little insight into this text. Um, first of all, and this could be offensive to some, and I'm not trying to be, but it's just where we are, okay? Um, if you've been through five husbands and now you're possibly leaning towards your sixth um, and those other five didn't work, um, there's a common denominator, okay? <laughs> See, I, I think what we often do is we want to push our problems on other people, but every bad decision you've ever made, every bad relationship you've ever been in, and listen, I know there's outside forces and they did this and they said this and all this, but you were a part of every single one of those. And so there's a common denominator when it comes to these things in life that sometimes haven't worked out the way we have hoped. And there's also a common denominator in some of us, and we have to own this, some of our past. Now, what we're going to find out is this woman is incredibly thirsty. Now, the word thirsty in our context, um, we're not talking about water. So for some of you older folks, and me even, maybe, that don't know, the word thirsty has different connotations in our culture now. In fact, Urban Dictionary defines cold thirsty as this too eager to get something or desperate for this. So the idea of thirsty is that you're so eager and desperate for something that that you kind of don't worry about what everybody else kind of is doing and the cultural norms. And sometimes you put yourself in bad situations because you're so thirsty. So what Jesus knows about this woman is she has a gaping wound in her life and in her heart. And she's tried to fill that gaping wound in her heart with men. She thinks if she can get the right man and the right relationship, then everything's going to be okay. And so Jesus says, okay, let's be honest. Let's be honest with yourself. 
Stop deceiving yourself. The men thing is actually the problem. And so all of a sudden it gets real. And we can't talk about something else. And so do you know what she does the moment that Jesus kind of knows what's going on and he wants to talk to her about it? She changes the subject. And we can't blame her because you would do it too, right? You ever have somebody that you, you've isolated out of your life because you know that they're actually going to say the truth and you don't want to hear the truth? You'd rather hear the person that just agrees with you all the time? So she's trying to change the subject and she's trying to talk about this kind of like religious stuff. And, and Jesus is like, no, we, we got to talk about what's going on. Um, and, and see, we got to talk about what's led to this shame and this regret to where the way you feel this way. See, the reality is, is that everybody, this woman and all of us, we're thirsty for things in life to fill us and to, to make us complete. And, and there's nothing worse than being desperately thirsty. Several years ago, I was uh, running a marathon. And I'm not saying that to like, be like, I ran a marathon. It was a bad idea. And uh, so I'm running this marathon. It's at the Disney marathon. We have some friends that are big Disney people. Disney's the worst place. Can we just all go and say that? And so we're at Disney. It's super expensive. It's hot. It's crowded. The lines are ridiculous. Don't go. And so we're going to Disney and I'm running this marathon. I thought this marathon was we ran through all of the parks and it was going to be awesome. No, we run through all the access roads that all the workers take to get from one park to the next. So we're running on these roads. It's hot. Okay, we have been training in the winter. The, the marathon's in January. We've been training in the winter here in Kentucky. So it's cool and it's nice. And when it's cool and nice, if you're a runner, you know you can run all day long. But when it's hot, it's terrible. So I'm in Orlando. I've been training in the winter. I get down there. If you've ever been to Orlando, it's hot. Even in January, the humidity is ridiculous. Don't go there. And so we, we get there. <laughs> And I'm running this marathon, and I have this problem as a runner where I don't like to drink a lot of water. I don't do the goos or anything like that because I'm always worried it's going to affect my stomach. I have to go to the bathroom. So we, we come in out of mile 10, and there's a water stop, and I skip it. And I know the next water stop is not for a few miles, so I skip that one. But by this point, because it's getting hotter and hotter, I'm getting thirstier and thirstier. And it's at this point where literally it's the thirstiest I've ever been. Like, my mouth is so dry, I'm sweating a lot because I'm running, and, and I do, I get to this point, this is going to be gross, but it's a throwback to a couple weeks ago, I get to the point, I don't know if you've ever done this, I'm making spit in my mouth to swallow it, okay, but I've got to the point, there's no more spit being produced, so I'm just thirsty, so I come out of the ESPN zone or whatever it's called to get back on the course, we ran around that, and it's mile 18 and there's a water stop there, and I'm thinking, sweet Jesus, I'm finally going to get some water, it's my fault. But I get to the water stop, and here's the thing. It was a small water stop. They had ran out of water. All right, this is where the story takes a turn. So I'm so thirsty. They've ran out of water. There's nobody even there. And I have this moment that I know the next stop is not for three more miles. I can't make it that long. So I start looking at the cups on the ground where other people have been running and drinking and throwing them down. And it's not my proudest moment. <laughs> I, I legitimately start picking up cups that other people have used and drinking the water because I was so desperately thirsty that at that point I was willing to do anything to satisfy my thirst. And some of us know what that's like, don't we? That you're so desperate that you'll do anything. And some of us, we try to relieve this thirst we have in life through attention. If I can just get enough attention. Or some of us, it's through sex. 
or like some people, maybe it was through like sports, like, you know, and now most of us, we're at the age where we're, we're not good at sports anymore. Let's just go ahead and admit it. So we try to relive that through our children or it's through success or some status that we think if we can achieve this status, then we'll be relieved. And maybe some people, it's even through religious attempts. But here's what you have to know about being thirsty. Um, it's not a sin to be thirsty, to want things, to have desires. It's just, it's just where do you get that fix from? And see, some of us, what we've done is to, to validate ourselves, to fill this thirst, and this is hard. Um, we've decided to put that validation in the hands of other people. And so what we do is we will get up every morning and, and we'll turn on our phones and we'll look at Instagram and we'll look at Facebook and we'll be like, did they like my picture? Did they comment on my post? Did they text me back? Did they follow me back? And, and, and what that's a symptom of is that you're really thirsty. And what happens for a lot of us is, is that if we put our validation in the hands of other people, okay, you're going to have to keep going back there because it's not going to satisfy. And you have to go back. And if you put your hands in the validation of other people, just, just so you know, this is true. Um, you're going to have to keep going back over and over and over again. And people will let you down. It doesn't fill you. And so Jesus, he looks at this woman in verse 13 and he says this, he says, everyone who drinks this water, and he's not talking about the water in the well, he's talking about the water that she's chasing that she thinks will fulfill her thirst. They'll be thirsty again, but everyone who drinks this water I give them will never thirst. And he's got her because she's tired. She's tired of being thirsty. She's tired of having to go to the same well over and over again. She's been with five different men. She's on her sixth. But now the seventh man has stepped in. And there's a little play on the language here that maybe you never picked up on. So, so now she's been through five. Here's six. But now Jesus is going to be the seventh man to step into her Life. Now, the number seven has extreme significance in the Jewish ideology and theology. Essentially, the number seven is the number of completeness and fullness. And so now she's met the seventh man who will complete her and fulfill her. Jesus is saying to her, go get the thing that's got you isolated, that's got your heart broken, the betrayal, the bitterness. Go get all of that stuff that made you feel like you had to isolate yourself because you do have a purpose and God has something greater for you. Now, all of that is going on. This whole time, the disciples are in town getting snacks. So they're walking back and all of a sudden, in verse 27, just then the disciples returned and were surprised, which is an understatement, to find him talking with this woman. They're sitting there going, Jesus, what are you doing? She's a woman. She's a Samaritan. The Bible even goes on to say, but no one wanted to ask, why are you talking to her? So they're like walking back. They're like walking up on the scene, eating their flaming Hot Cheetos and their Chex Mix, and they're like, what do we got going on here, Jesus? 
And they all wanted to say something, but none of them did. It's like they're looking at Matthew, like, Matthew, do you want to say anything? I ain't, I ain't saying nothing. Peter, you want to say anything? You always seem to be saying stuff. And he's like, last time I said something, he rebuked me and called me the devil. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> and so they walk up. The woman runs and leaves. And they walk up and they don't know what to do with this situation. You can read it in the text for yourself later. And so they look at Jesus and they say, you want something to eat? Like, you feeling all right? Now, here's the insight and here's the thing. So what happens next in the story, disciples walk back to Jesus. Woman runs back to the town. Woman runs back to the town. When she gets into the town, she goes in this. Now remember, this is the same woman that just a few moments ago is isolating herself from everybody in her community. The Bible tells us she runs back to her town and she starts looking at people and telling everybody that will listen, come (coughs) and see this man. Come and see this man who told me everything I ever did. And y'all all know I've done a lot of stuff. And she tells everybody she can to come and see this Jesus who told me everything I've ever done and he still wanted me and he still accepted me and he still loved me and he still offered me this water. Now, <clears throat> for some of us in this room, Think about everything you've ever done. See, if you, I'll just speak for myself, if you knew everything that's ever happened in here and everything that's ever happened in here and the stuff that I've gotten away with and the stuff that I did when I didn't think anybody was watching and Jesus knows all of that and he still wants you and he still accepts you. So the woman goes into the town and she starts telling these people to come and see this Jesus. And what we see next is that when she comes back to Jesus, she brings the whole town with her. The disciples just came back from the same town and they didn't bring anybody. Did you see that? How are the disciples who say they know Jesus the best going to talk, go into the town and talk about him the least? And the woman who's been a believer for 30 seconds goes into the town and everybody wants to meet this Jesus. Do you see the problem here? Now, I think maybe for for some of us, the reason this is such a a good application is this. See, some of us, we've been following Jesus for so long that it just has become like routine. And it's just become like something we do. And, And so these disciples who've been with Jesus, these disciples who know the mission of Jesus to come and to save those that were lost go into a town full of Samaritans, which they consider extremely lost, and they don't say anything. And then the woman goes into that town, 
And the whole town now wants to hear what Jesus has to say. And I think for some of us, I'm not, it's just reality. I think for some of us, we have a heart problem. I think that what happens for some of us is, see, we started following Jesus in like 1992 or 2003 or something that happened in college or, you know, and all of a sudden, and listen, do you remember, maybe you don't, do you remember when you first believed that Jesus actually was the hope of mankind? Like, you would tell anybody, you would tell anybody that would listen, you would share with people the things that God was doing in your life. And and then what happens for some of us, and I'm not trying to judge you, it's just reality, is that, that time goes on. And all of a sudden, it just that kind of becomes routine. Like we show up to church, we sing the songs, we listen to the guy with the mic talk for a little while, we might be tempted every once in a while to give some money, you know, that type of thing. Um, But see, the problem with some of us might just be, and I'm just saying this, is that our minds and our hearts have not been stirred by the mission of God in quite some time. And, And see, because of that... We, we forget the importance of the mission. See, but then you have this woman who her heart and her mind just got stirred. And now she can't wait to tell somebody about what Jesus has done for her. Could it be that sometimes the people that say they are closest to Jesus are the same people that are very far removed from the mission of Jesus? And I don't think any of us do this intentionally. I think this is what happens. Is we can forget what it was like to be that woman. We can forget to be what it was like to be that person that had isolated themselves and felt like they had to isolate themselves. See, see, here's what you have to know about coming to church. See, for some of us, like this is what we do. And even though we don't all know each other and all that stuff, and, but see, here's the thing. Like we come to church, whether it's here or somebody else, and like these are our people. This is our jam. This is what we do. This is what we believe. This is who we are. And so this is kind of our thing and it becomes routine. And then you have some people that walk into here and because of the isolation they feel in their hearts and their minds, this is the scariest place for them to be. But then when they start to believe that they're accepted and loved and that they have value and worth, it changes everything for them. And they can't wait to tell other people about this message of Jesus. So how did this story start? It starts with this woman who's isolated herself It starts with this woman trying to fill her life with everything and anything and anyone that she thinks might be able to fill the hole in her heart and in her soul and in her mind and in her life. And then she has this encounter with Jesus that she cannot deny and cannot forget, a moment of hope and grace that she could not keep to herself. And so she goes into a city the same city she just felt isolated from and the same city that Jesus' disciples just walked into and came back with nobody. And she walks in and she says, come and see. And listen to how this story ends. Many, verse 39, of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of this woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay for two days And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, listen, 
We no longer believe just because of what you've said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. I think that the reason the story of Jesus is so compelling is because constantly when we see Jesus here on earth and the story that comes after him is it's constantly moving people from what is to moving them to what could be. Do you understand that? So so we live in this world where here's what is, here's reality, here's where we are, and the message of Jesus takes us and moves us into a possibility that there could actually be something else from what is to what could be. So I finished preaching that message on Thursday, and I'm like, that was so good, that point, like I got everybody, you all feel terrible about yourselves because you ain't inviting nobody to church and the disciples didn't do it and all this good stuff. So I get there and I'm like, dang, that's like, I just never thought about that before. Like these disciples going to the same town, these are supposed to be like the missionaries for Jesus, the hands and feet, they don't tell nobody. The woman who just now became a believer goes in and saves everybody. Like it's just an amazing story. And then, so Thursday I'm leaving and then there's this one little nugget for some of us. See, because we hear this and and we haven't bought in fully to the idea of what is versus what could be. Or for many of us, we forgot about what it was like when Jesus took us from what is to what could be, because now it just is. And so we forget about that. And and so there was a lady walked up to me in the lobby and uh, she handed me a piece of paper. And it's a, a detail that I noticed in the story before, but the way she worded it was just perfect. See, for some of you, this is what you have to know about the idea of what is to what could be. And, and so there's this little detail in, in verse 38, right, where she meets Jesus. She came with her jar to get some water. And then because of this encounter with Jesus, verse 38 tells us, then leaving her water jar, she runs back. So she has this encounter with Jesus, and the thing that she came to do, the thing that she came to fill, she leaves. And this is what she wrote on this piece of paper and handed it to me. She forgot her vase when she went back to the city because she forgot her thirst. And it's this moment where we see what is to what could be. She forgot her thirst. She didn't need it anymore. For some people, that's good news because it's hard for them to imagine what is to what could be. So why do I tell you all this? Because there are people in your life that need to hear the good news of Jesus because they've isolated themselves, they're broken, and they're hurting, and you care about those people, right? So we don't want to be the person that walks into that same school, that same community, that same family, that same place, and don't say anything. So, If you know somebody that needs to hear the message of the good news of Jesus, the come and see message, just invite them next week. 
invite them to come and see what God can do with what is to what could be. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for your words. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for those moments that we often are tempted to forget about of how it once was for us in the what is of life, in the painful things, in the hard things, that what is that we all kind of go through. And for this woman that we saw today, God, this what is of hers was a moment of isolation and desperation, a moment when she was trying to fill her life with so many things that were never going to satisfy her, never going to fulfill her thirst. And the temptation of me, the temptation of everyone in this room is to keep reaching for those things, knowing that they're never going to satisfy because that's what is. But this is the story of also of what could be of a woman redeemed, of a woman saved, of a woman whose life is changed. And because of that, not only is her life changed, but a whole community of people. Because they just came and saw the good news of who you were. They came and believed the good message that you can take us from what we are and turn us into so much more than we could ever believe. And so God, give us the compassion for the people around us. Give us the strength to engage the people around us, the bravery, the wisdom, whatever words we need, whatever things we need in our heart and our mind, to not just say we believe this message, but to live it out, to partner with you in the mission that you so desperately came to offer to us, a hope in this world. And so, Father, we love you, we thank you, we thank you for the grace, the mercy you give. And God, I pray that we will never forget the moment, or maybe the moment right now, in which we first believed and the love that you offer, even knowing everything we ever did. So we love you and we thank you. In your son's name we pray, amen. Every week we come to this time, we celebrate the hope that we have in Jesus and we do it through communion. So there's these little cups and stations around the room and so the band's gonna lead us in some worship and this is the time just for you to reflect um, and when you're ready, we just invite you to participate as we worship together.